Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 270, being recorded on Thursday, July 15th, 2021. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Uh, Jason, one of our favorite topics that we have been tracking really closely on the show is the evolution of e-commerce platforms. I know you're super passionate about this, and your clients ask you lots of uh advice for this and you deliver tons of value uh, when you talk to them. Um, so one example is we had uh, Fazel from Fabric talk about headless e-commerce back way back in episode 259. In this episode, we are excited to welcome Kelly Gage to the show. Kelly wears two hats. He is both the chief product officer of Commerce Tools and co-founder and chairman of the MACH Alliance, uh, pronounced Mock. Kelly, welcome to the Jason Scott Show. Thanks for having me. I've been a long-time listener. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Kelly, we're thrilled to have you. This is a personal victory for me because if uh, Scott had his way, every episode would be about Amazon. And uh, if I had my way, every, every episode would be about tech platforms. So, so oh, you, we'll, we'll work Amazon in. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, this is going to be the perfect confluence of those two. Um, so, but before we jump into all of that, uh, as always, we like to start by getting a little background about our guests. So, can you tell us kind of um, uh, about your your uh, background in the commerce platform space? Sure. Um, I actually started pretty young, and I kind of fell into it, um, being at the right place at the right time. Um, I was going to college, and at eighteen, I was looking for a summer job, and I had done a little bit of uh, web design and. I stumbled across a job post for footlocker.com, which thankfully was located in my, my town where I was going to university. And um, they were in the midst of the biggest ATG implementation at the time. And ATG was the uh, leading commerce platform back in the 90s and 2000s. It was later bought by Oracle. And I loved it. Um, my first job there was to convert Photoshop to HTML. And uh, I pretty quickly moved my way down the stack. Um, I had a great mentor there, uh, Guy Morazane, and um, he really coached me and mentored me. And then ATG hired me uh, directly. So after a year of that, I moved to Chicago and I continued my studies. And at ATG, it was just the right place at the right time. Um, I architected and launched um, AltaBeauty.com, uh, Alta.com, um, DSW Shoes, and Taylor, a lot of those mall brands that were big uh, ATG customers back then. And I started getting involved with the different Walmart accounts there. Um, my first one actually was, it was a um, combination between Blockbuster and Walmart. And the website was moviedownloads.walmart.com. And it was, it was kind of a cool concept. Um, you could print DVDs on demand. So they had this uh, giant catalog of back movies and you could print them. And that was kind of my intro to Walmart. And Walmart grabbed me and I spent my last three and a half years at ATG as the chief architect um, at Walmart. And there, again, that was just such a great learning experience. Had some great mentors there working across 10 different Walmart subsidiaries. Um, we architected and launched uh, US Grocery. Uh, it was the very first uh, US Grocery platform for Walmart. Um, Sam's Club US, Sam's China, um, Walmart Chile. So we really got to, uh, got to learn and deeply understand um, how large-scale e-commerce worked at scale. And after six years of ATG, um, I was just wrapping up my master's program and I'd been learning about product management and I really was drawn to it. It made a lot of intuitive sense to me. And also I just logistically couldn't be traveling every week. I mean, I basically abandoned my girlfriend at the time and now wife um, and was traveling all the time. You know, I'd go to China or South America or, I mean, I was somewhere different all the time and I just, I couldn't do that to my family. So I made the switch over to product management and I joined Oracle. And this was back in uh, the early 2010s. Cloud was just getting going and Oracle was a great place again to learn. I had a great mentor there, uh, Mo Offshar, who's now CEO of Pipe17. 
And I was product uh, manager for Exologic, Java Cloud Service, a bunch of those earlier cloud services. And it was a really great place to learn how to run a software business at scale. Um, I got involved in M&A there. Um, and my last year there, I was working with the then Oracle president and now um, GCP CEO, uh, Thomas Curian, and uh, worked uh, on microservices. So led, led those initiatives for Oracle. Um, also at Oracle, I wrote e-commerce in the cloud for O'Reilly. And that was really a great way to marry my two passions, which was commerce and cloud. And this was just back in the day when uh, e-commerce was still being deployed on-premises. It was, you know, I spent my 20s troubleshooting failed production deployments at midnight, you know, like (laughs) cloud made so much intuitive sense to me. And I thought, you know, folks have to be doing this at scale. Um, But after five years, my mentor left and I really wanted to get back into the commerce space. And I thought that there had to be somebody doing commerce cloud and microservices. And I actually Googled it. Um, I Googled commerce cloud and microservices, and I found this small German company called Commerce Tools. Um, And the company really was only active in Germany, Um, pretty small, but I could really see the product. And Dirk Horig, who is the co-founder and CEO, uh, and I got along really well. And uh, I've been with Commerce Tools now for five years. And at Commerce Tools... um, I wrote three more books for O'Reilly, um, so Microservices for Modern Commerce, APIs for Modern Commerce, and GraphQL for Modern Commerce. Um, and at Commerce Tools, I look after uh, product management, um, product strategy, integrations, design. Uh, every day, it's a different hat. <laughs> awesome. And uh, I just just to kind of fill in a couple of the, the uh, timeline details for me, so you you started at ATG before they were acquired by Oracle. Is that, do I have that right? Yeah, long before. So yeah. I actually joined ATG. And so ATG. then you joined Oracle before Oracle acquired ATG. Actually, I joined right after. Oh, okay. I joined a couple months after. And I, I didn't really want to go into the ATG product management group. Um, but yeah, it was it was very close. Gotcha. So did you have to pretend like you didn't know anything about ATG? Were you trying to keep it on the down low? <laughs> well, it was funny because folks across... Um, you know, Oracle was split between apps and tech, right? And tech was everything that wasn't an app. So a lot of folks across the tech organization found out that there was an ATG person who just joined. So my first six months there, so it was still all ATG based. It was, you know, everybody trying to get their hands on the latest acquisition. So I, I, I spent some quality time uh, working with ATG in my first six months there. Yeah. Um, and for listeners that haven't lived through the uh, the last 10 years of the platform wars, A, congratulations on not, uh, but B, um, for for most of the last 10 years, and I would argue, and we're, we're definitely going to talk about this, that it's changed quite a bit uh, more recently, but for most of the last 10 years, in enterprise commerce, there were three big platforms, and they it was WebSphere Commerce, which like arguably was born at IBM um, or, or acquired very young and developed by IBM. Then there was this, startup ATG that later got acquired by Oracle. Um, and there was a, a startup called uh, Hybris that was later acquired by SAP. So for, call it the last like five years, you had this big Oracle, IBM, uh, SAP battle. Uh, now you mentioned commerce tools. Commerce tools kind of has a, um, I don't know if it's fair to call it a shared lineage, but a a, a close coupling with the, the origin of, of uh, Hybris, does it not? It's an interesting story. So Dirk, who's the co-founder and CEO of Commerce Tools, was actually roommates just after he graduated university with one of the Hybris co-founders. And Hybris had opened up this giant office in Munich, and they had extra space. And at the time, Dirk founded an agency, and the first Commerce Tools offices were actually in uh, the Hybris office. So we did a lot of the very early implementations of Hybris across Europe. Got it. Very cool. And uh, side note, Dirk has actually sent me an IM uh, uh, telling me to needle you because he says as a good German that you actually don't know how to pronounce your own last name. <laughs> yes, I'm I'm perpetually harassed by my German colleagues um, at the airport, actually. I, my very first trip over to Germany to interview with the whole team, um, this baggage handler was harassing me. He said, you look so German. He said, you can't even pronounce your own surname properly. <laughs> <laughs> I like so it. he took that one and that's, yeah, that's kind of stuck. Yeah. yeah. 
So we've got these big three legacy platforms. Uh, they all were like monolithic software. They all were designed to run on prem. They're all owned by these huge enterprise software companies. Um, the uh, commerce tools uh, had a, a sort of a, a couple of unique ideas from its its founding. So uh, maybe we could talk about that. Like what what originally differentiated commerce tools from the these sort of uh, uh, inter the traditional platforms of the day? Well, you know, like I mentioned, Dirk started as an agency, so he did front-end development work. And in the late 2000s, the iPhone came out, we started to see a big shift. And Dirk had the foresight to realize that these legacy platforms that came with the UI, I mean, basically bolted to the back end, were not going to scale very well for this new world, right? And he was right. And in 2013, he launched uh, or he invented headless commerce and launched commerce tools. Um, so we've been 100% product company since roughly 2011 or so. Well, and then on the business side, um, I'm new to commerce tools. Give us an idea of the scale we're talking about here. Um, for example, I uh, my go-to is um, Crunchbase, it says you guys have raised about over $167 million. So that, that must mean there's more than five people involved in this, this enterprise. <laughs> yeah, we've we've grown a lot in the past five years, but especially just the past 18 months. Um, so our we're a very different style of commerce platform. You know, the the world that we all came from at Commerce Tools, um, you had these these bigger monolithic platforms, you released them to production once a month, maybe once every two weeks, if you're really fast, they were hosted. And Commerce Tools was built almost by first wave veterans kind of looking to do it right the second time, but with cloud. And the company was founded at the right time. And we were able to natively use um, public cloud, right? So we have a cloud native architecture. So we're API first, um, you know, as opposed to um, the legacy platforms, which put on APIs later. And there's a big difference there. We're multi-tenant. So we don't really have the concept of like an environment or anything of that sort. Instead, you just create a project in the same way that you go to AWS and create a project, for example. And then behind the scenes, we're actually seven vertical teams. So we have a team focused on checkout. We have a team focused on product catalog. And then any one of those teams can release to production at any point during the day. So in many cases, we're releasing to production two, three, four times a day. So it's a it's a different approach. Um, also, another one is uh, we're very focused on just core commerce. Um, so our company name is Commerce Tools, um, which which is a perfect name for what we do. We offer commerce tools as opposed to a package, a suite. You know, we're definitively not a a website in a box type offering, and that's great for some segments of the market. But our customers tend to be large enterprises, so we do all of the e-commerce for AT&T.com, for Lego. For Ulta, uh, Burberry, John Lewis. Um, so a lot of our customers are doing 500 million plus in GMV. Um, we do go lower, you know, maybe 50 million, and we have a whole new commercial team that's that's going after that segment. But our bread and butter business is going after these really, really large um, enterprises, and they're using us almost like building blocks. Right, they're not wanting to buy a website in a box. Instead, what they're doing is they're consuming um, pieces of us incrementally, and they'll start by using us for product catalog, and then they'll chip away at their monolith over the course of six, twelve, eighteen months until that legacy platform is gone. And what's nice about this is they can build around us um, as opposed to having to work within our platform. Instead, they're building alongside us. So a lot of folks will build out their own loyalty system or their own pricing engine or, you know, their own, um, you know, product APIs, but th they have a lot of um, flexibility. So at the very, very top end of our market, folks are choosing between building from scratch and buying us. And most of the time, what they do is they end up buying us for all the commoditized stuff, the things that um, don't really provide any business value to build. You know, there's not a lot of business value in building a shopping cart. So we do all of those um, those back office, those boring things, and then our customers can then spend their time um, actually innovating. Um, so that's that's our goal, and that's what we've been able to do. So we're at about 300 and something, 310 employees, give or take, and uh, we should be at about 400 by the end of this year. Nice. Yeah, so um, let me just kind of 
restate this to make sure uh, that I understand. So, you know, it used to be you would go and you'd get these big monolithic things, these big enterprise apps, and you'd have to host them and go through like a multi-year implementation and pay an integrator and all this jazz. And then, um, then we kind of had um, two other options, which would be a SaaS-like platform like Shopify, where I, I could go up and pay couple hundred bucks a month all the way up to whatever Shopify plus is. And now I get this whole application that's, that's pretty self-service. Um, but, but, you know, not super ex- extensible, but there's maybe an app store and I can add a little bit of functionality, but I can't get in there and, and you know, kind of totally change everything. Um, but then the alternative to that was open source, but now I've got to like figure out this big giant, you know, um, depository of code and a lot of people extended that and then they couldn't upgrade and they were kind of stuck with with a a, a fork of code that that they kind of had to live with and they got off the upgrade track this this new way of doing it is essentially there's a collection of apis and, and if you have your own developers you can sprinkle in elements you can say well i've already got a content system i want to i want to pull a cart in there i want to pull in you know, a, a little e-commerce catalog, that kind of thing. Um, and that's that's where commerce tool sits, kind of more on the enterprise side for those enterprises that already have some developers. You couldn't be a one-person SMB and, and use this, most likely unless you happen to be a coder. And sounds like you're going for a bigger customer anyway. Um, is that a fair characterization of, of everything? No, that's a really good uh, summary. Um, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, it's very similar to Amazon Web Services or Google Cloud or Azure. You have this big collection of APIs, this big toolbox of things that you can do. And AWS doesn't say, hey, you have to use these 50 services. Instead, you just pick and choose what you want. And that's what our customers um, want to do with us. And that's why we've had a lot of success recently. Nice. Uh, so, Kelly, I'll tell you my metaphor for microservices versus um, sort of traditional monoliths. And you tell me uh if i'm i'm wildly misrepresenting things but i used to always talk about the this legos metaphor that like uh buying uh atg websphere or hybris was essentially buying a pre-assembled castle or a boat or a death star made out of legos and <laughs> and often the legos were we're most we're we're glued pretty firmly together already. Um, but the microservices is buying a kit of Legos, right? Like it may come with a book with some inspiration about what you can build with the Legos, but you you really get to snap the Legos together in in any any configuration you want. Yeah, no, that's a great way of putting it. And just a, a quick side story: um, Lego was one of our very biggest earliest customers. So back in 2017, early 2017. Um, they bought us and I'd been using the Lego analogy since I started in 2016. And when Lego closed, I was so excited because, you know, they, yeah. they complete the <laughs> analogy. It's perfect. <laughs> I, I love it. Uh, and speaking of which, like, so, uh, commerce tools, it, it, uh, like I have been following you obviously for a while and, and it does seem like you guys have gotten a lot of good customer traction. Uh, but one common denominator I've noted um, is a lot of uh, your marquee customers are former ATG customers. So I just I don't want to miss pointing out that you spent half your career installing <laughs> ATG and now you're spending the, the other half of your career uninstalling it. No, that's a that's a good way of putting it. Um, and I maybe it was a little bit deliberate. Um but yeah, there is a definitely a chunk of our customers that came from that world. And you know what's what happens with you know enterprise software is you'll get one ATG customer that'll buy it, and then the second, and then the third, and then pretty quickly, if you have you know two, three, four of these folks signed up with Commerce Tools and they're happy and they're successful, then that becomes the default path, right? And a lot of folks out there in the ATG space are. are kind of hitting the end of the age of that platform. And look, it was a great platform. You know, I, I have nothing but respect for that, that platform and that team. But, you know, at some point, software kind of fades away and it, it's the end of its life. And a lot of those ATG customers were hitting the end of uh, ATG just as we were coming up. And once we had a few of those up and, you know, successful and speaking publicly about it, um, they kind of followed in droves. So it's it's been a good business to be in. But yeah, I've, um, you know, Alta, for example, I launched, I launched the very first Alta.com myself in a production. And uh, I will be there when we launch uh, the new commerce tools based version of Alta. Uh, very exciting. Um, the, 
I do want to po- uh, touch on uh, this this whole idea of uh, microservices, though, uh, just a little bit more. Because so Dirk started Commerce Tools in 2013 with with the idea of microservices in mind. Um, I, I'm trying to remember, like, when when were RESTful APIs even invented? Like, it wasn't that much before then, right? They were actually invented in 2001. So there's oh, a God. guy named Royal Roy. What was his name? Roy Fielding. And he put out a dissertation, his PhD dissertation, where he outlines um, RESTful APIs. Um, but nobody really adopted them for quite a while. It was really the rise of public cloud in 2008, 2009, 2010. That's really what gave rise to the use of APIs out there. Yep. Okay. So so part of the reason I asked is because obviously none of those monoliths were were based on APIs, but the the buzz around APIs started to build, and I would argue it even like got ahead of actual implementations of headless commerce platforms. Like for a long time before there were a ton of clients running headless commerce platforms, uh, there were a lot of people putting writing headless commerce into RFPs. Um, and one of the things I noticed is it seemed like all the monoliths like quickly added uh, um, headless to their marketing materials. Yes, 100. percent We we face that every day at Commerce Tools um, for a couple of years there. Yeah, and the and the challenge is like it's it, it fundamentally is describing an architecture, right? So it's not something you can bolt on to the top of everything you already have, right? Like you sort of right need to the code is written one way specifically, right? It's it's written to function with a head on it, and yes, you can put some APIs on top. But inevitably, those APIs are written around the underlying code, which may or may not have been written in a way that can be exposed retroactively with an API. Then the other challenge you have is um, just the lack of coverage. You know, we are very proud. Every single thing in our platform can be done through an API. Every config change, every every everything. And if you have a legacy platform and you put the APIs on top later, inevitably, you still have configuration things that you can only do through a UI. Um, there's functionality that's not properly exposed. And sometimes you have to call APIs in very specific orders because that's how the underlying code is written. And our APIs are independently consumable. They're stateless, right? So you don't have to worry about calling them in a specific order. Um, it's uh, it's a fundamentally different approach. But look, I mean, Twilio had been doing it for a couple of years. Um, you know, the the API economy was formally launched in... I don't know, 2010-ish, give or take. And I'm honestly surprised nobody came up with Headless Commerce before Dirk did. <laughs> yeah, and uh, one of the things that still surprises me to this day, I'm curious if you have a theory about why. Uh, so, like, it, you know, the this notion largely got driven by everyone sort of, you know, interest uh, and aspiration to migrate to the cloud. Um, I have perpetually been surprised by how long it has taken enterprise commerce practitioners to move to the cloud like it it still is true that like there's an awful lot of commerce running on like on-prem solutions and it, i mean obviously nobody's doing a new one that way uh so certainly the the cloud and and uh api first uh approaches like are winning all new implementations but like are you guys surprised by how long it's taken customers to just decide that there's too much too much cost of ownership and too much technical debt in those architectures and how, how slowly they have migrated off of them. I, I, every day I'm surprised. Um, but if, if you look at the motivations of individuals making those decisions, they're not doing it maliciously. In many cases, folks have been with the same company for decades, especially in retail and change is hard because these legacy platforms were basically welded to the order management systems, the warehouse management systems, the content management systems. So in many cases, you have billions of dollars flowing through a platform that is, I mean, literally welded to the entire rest of the enterprise. And nobody wants to be the one to undertake a large multi-year initiative to uh, rip that all up and replace it. But I think they're kind of getting to the point now where these platforms are falling out of support. And they can't hire developers for them. And just the whole world around, from a technology standpoint, the whole world around these platforms has changed so much that they just have to. And you also have competitive pressures from Amazon 
you know, for example, um, you know, they're releasing to production once a second, right? Amazon.com once a second. I mean, and a lot of the folks I used to work with on the ETG side, they were happy to release once a month. And I'm a really firm believer that innovation requires iteration. You know, a lot of times it takes five, six, seven cycles of iteration to get a feature correct. And if you're releasing once a month, you just can't keep up. So for competitive reasons, and just because technology has changed, I, I think the change is um, accelerating now, but it's uh, it's still surprising what I see out there every day. Once a month, I, I used to have uh, all these clients that had a uh, like, quote unquote, holiday lockdown when they wouldn't, they wouldn't release anything <laughs> for like <laughs> seven months around holiday. I won't name and shame, but there was one big retailer in the US that was an ATG customer. They released to production once a year. And it was an all hands on deck thing. And they, because everything was so tightly coupled, they had to all get together in a gigantic war room and release all of their systems, their middleware, their commerce platform. I mean, you name it, all of them had to be released at once. That was it. And thankfully, they've modernized quite a bit since then. But that was the style. People were just happy to have a dot com up. Yeah, I bet that was a fun day <laughs> <laughs> or a week or whatever it ended up being. Um, okay, so you've um, your chief product officer at a hot startup uh, with you know both in Europe and the U.S. You're writing books, and you say to yourself, "Wow, I really uh, I really have a lot of spare time. Let me start this alliance." Tell us tell us how that came to be. Um, well, you know we when Dirk founded Commerce Tools and created Headless Commerce, there was no market awareness for what Headless commerce was, right? It, there, it wasn't a thing. People didn't know about it. Um, and over time, and, and a lot of that was uh, thought leadership um, you know, from us, but there were other folks out there as well you know, doing a great job of publicizing this, um, kind of crystallized around this term Mach. And again, you know, talking about Germans making fun of me, they still make fun of me that I can't pronounce Mach properly. Um, but it, it stands for microservices, APIs, cloud native, and headless. And it's a term that uh, we started using in 2018, and it really caught on because it crystallized this new style of architecture really, really well. And at the time, we didn't want it to suffer the same fate as other architecture patterns out there. So, you know, you remember when cloud came out and then, you know, the next month, all of the legacy vendors that were definitively not cloud, um, all of a sudden pretended to be cloud, <laughs> you know, cloud washing, right? If you, if you remember that term. Um, you know, things like uh, REST APIs, you know, things like DevOps, these amorphous terms um, lost their meaning very quickly. And mock actually meant something, right? And we wanted it to remain something. So we've, we're always working with our partners and our partners started to use the term as well. It really started to get used out there. And we thought, how do we get together and educate the market and, um, you know, really define what what that standard is and prevent it from being washed out. And you know, like all good things, it it started uh, in a pub. Um, I wasn't actually there; I was in um, Germany at the time, but it was a London pub. <laughs> and uh, you know, right after that, uh, I had uh, Sonia from Content Stack, um, who is now uh, president of the Alliance. She messaged me, uh, and uh, she called me later that day, and she said, "You know, we've been discussing this. You know, we we just got together. We had this great idea. What do you think?" I said, oh, this is perfect. And I still can't believe I didn't think of it myself. But anyway, the idea for the Alliance uh, was, uh, was not me. I was, uh, I was not in that pub, but uh, I think it really aligned with what uh, we had been talking about over the, the six months prior to that. Cool. So is it just, um, it's kind of always interesting to me when competitors kind of decide for the greater good to get involved. Is it, is it mostly, um, you know, effectively competitors to what you guys are doing, or have you been able to pull in other, other you know, kind of near orbit kind of folks? Well, we launched in June of last year with content stack, Ampliance, Voltec, and EPAM. And of course, Commerce Tools is being founding members. And we had six other members join us um, at that point. And um, now we're at, I want to say we're at 36 members. And uh, I've gone out of my way. We've had people apply in droves. We've had hundred and something apply already. Um, but uh, I've gone out of my way to make sure that uh, we get representative companies from each segment. 
Um, so even just on the the commerce space, um, Big Commerce uh, is a member of the alliance. Um, Vtex is, and there are a bunch of folks uh, who are joining in the next couple of weeks here from commerce platforms. There's no value in this just being a you know a couple of vendors getting together. Um, we as an alliance, we're actually registered as a 501c6, um, which is you know like how uh, you know milk producers come together under a 501c6 and they advocate for people drinking milk, <laughs> right? Um, we're doing the same thing, but for mock principles. Um, so we're primarily there to educate folks on what mock is. And we educate anywhere from developers to CFOs. Um, so we have a pretty broad charter there. And uh, we produce a, a lot of really good educational vendor neutral content. Um, we also maintain the purity of what it means to be mock. Um, as I mentioned, we had 100 and something apply. So we're at about a 30% acceptance rate. And we really want folks who are in the alliance to be able to proudly say that indeed they are mock based, that they're not just, you know, um, using this term and applying it to some old product. And then finally, we have community. So we have a set of 16 ambassadors. Um, So we have a BCG partner, for example. Um, We have the CTO of Sephora, um, lots of uh, heads of uh, architecture. So they get together. It's a great group, um, a lot of knowledge sharing there, and they talk publicly about all the, the great things that they're doing respectively. Um, we have hackathons. Uh, we have an executive advisory board um, made up of C-level execs from across the industry. Um, and the purpose of that is really to keep us um, vendor neutral and uh, open as an alliance. But you know, we're really coming together as competitors because we believe fundamentally that the way we grow the market is by working together and advocating for this new style. And we firmly believe and have seen that this market is big enough for all of us to succeed. We just need to change. Uh, we need to educate folks, right? This is all pretty new technology. And, uh, you know, we need to educate folks on what this is and, uh, you know, why it's important. Uh, and a, a side note, uh, there's at least one analyst out there that tried to uh, coin the term, uh, compostable commerce. And uh, I'm just super grateful for Mock because compostable commerce just sounds horrible. Like, I don't want to name any mission-critical system after the garbage. <laughs> well said. I think you can say, as an industry, we're not very good at naming things. I mean, look at Headless Commerce, for example. You know, we have <laughs> yeah. little morose names in some of these things. But yeah, we're developers, not uh, not marketers. Clearly, clearly. Um, so let, let's talk about the... Uh, you, you know, you mentioned you're getting more members like that implies there's more platforms emerging. And one of the things I've noticed for like a long time, there there's two analyst firms out there, Forrester and Gardner, that publish these kind of leaderboards of commerce. Right. So there's the Forrester wave and they, you know, they have an annual wave that says like, hey, here's here's the, you know, the the most established and the up and coming and the kind of losing ground uh, commerce platforms and uh uh, Gardner has one called the Magic Quadrant. Um, for a long time, those waves were pretty static, at least in the upper right-hand corners, which was the best place to be. Um, you had those those big three, and they'd maybe you know shuffle position or move around a little bit. But like it, I would argue it was pretty hard to break in. And, and something I've noticed in the last, uh, I'll call it three or four years, is there's way more churn. Like people are like moving around a lot and also just a lot more uh, companies are showing up on those things. Is that um, because there's like, is is the industry getting less fragmented? Are people, you know, uh, tending to pick different solutions more often? Like what, like, like, uh, am I seeing things right? Like what's going on in the commerce space? Well, first, I mean, if if you look at the cost uh, it takes to get a company up and going off the ground, it's substantially less than it used to be. You know, if you were going to build a commerce platform 20 years ago, you'd have to go buy a bunch of hardware, build a big product, build a team, right? You had to you had to put in a lot of capital, right? And it wasn't terribly clear that um, you know the market would be where it's at today. So it was a bit of a risky bet. And with cloud, cloud is allowed folks out there to get started very quickly and very easily. And we're seeing folks out there starting with a piece of granular functionality, you know, maybe promotions, for example, and then expanding from that. 
right? Once they hit product market fit, they, they grow and they grow and they grow and eventually they become a commerce platform. Um, you know, so that's, that's been really big. Also the market itself is growing. Um, a lot of folks out there are buying commerce platforms that never used to have commerce platforms before. You know, we have a lot of media customers like NBC universal uses us, um, for, uh, in show product placements, for example, um, Audi and BMW use us for in-car connected commerce. 20 years ago that those folks would never in a million years have bought a commerce platform. And then finally, there's um, a rise in these more vertical specific commerce platforms. And they might not place in a Forrester Wave or Gartner Magic Quadrant, but there are a lot of solutions out there for grocery, for example, or online gaming um, or retail or just B2B. And again, back in the day, it was just those couple platforms and they try to do everything but now, you know, so many more folks out there are buying commerce platforms and they're able to buy one that's specific to their, their niche in the market. Yeah. Uh, does it feel like those vertical platforms, like, so there have always been some of those vertical platforms and they're there. I would argue like there tended to be a few verticals where, where, where the verticalized platforms did really well. And then other ones where they didn't like, is, is that model getting more traction? Like are the, uh, and is that maybe even a layer on top of all of the the sort of mock things? Like, like are there people that say, hey, we're going to take a mock platform like Commerce Tools and we're going to invent a, a, a grocery verticalized solution on it or a, or a automotive verticalized solution or something like that? Uh, I see some of these platforms taking off, but the majority of the more vertical focused platforms have failed for various reasons. Um, you know, my web grocer, for example, I had really high hopes for them and they didn't quite hit product market fit. Um, and I think some of those are execution issues. Um, some of those are, you know, the total addressable market for some of these is pretty small and it's pretty easy to saturate your, your TAM basically. Right. Um, and again, a, a lot of it, I think just comes down to execution. We do have a lot of folks out there building industry specific accelerators on us and our competitors do too. And I think that's a great thing because I think offering customers more choice is, I mean, good for everyone ultimately. Right. For sure. Uh, and speaking of uh, good for everyone, like isn't Amazon just going to uh, jump into the space and wipe everyone out? <laughs> um, I, I think, think that's where the market's headed. I don't think it's going to be Amazon necessarily. Um, but I do think that commerce platforms are being very quickly commoditized. And I think that's generally a very good thing. Um, so if I look at the enterprise space, even mid-market, um, you know, there's a lot of evidence for that. So just generally, if you look at what commoditized software is, it's software that's widely used. It's easy to consume. It's low cost. And vendors generally offer the same baseline of functionality. Um, and we see that with, with commerce, right? We see a lot of folks now buying commerce platforms that never used to buy commerce platforms. Before, it was just the mall brand retailers, basically, that were buying commerce platforms. And now we see Shopify. They're claiming 500,000 plus live sites, big commerce, um, digitally native vertical brands. Um, again, it's, it's across the board. Um, the software is also easier to consume now than ever, you know, back in the day you had to stand up, um, you know, what was it like early Magento, for example. And that was a pretty big lift for a lot of the SMB folks out there. Now it takes you 10 minutes on Shopify, right? It's very easy to get started. And, you know, we at commerce tools and, you know, some of our competitors are starting to do this as well. You can just go to our website and get a project immediately. You know, you don't have to set up an environment. And then from a cost standpoint, um, we see the cost for commerce platforms coming down quite a bit. And even in 2020, Gartner predicted that the price for commerce platforms will be 30% less than in, uh, in 2023 versus 2019. And they specifically call out feature commoditization because if you look at it, we at commerce tools and you know folks in the mock alliance, we're not really competing based on feature function. We're, we're competing based on our architecture right? We all roughly offer the same thing. And this is a good thing for all involved, except for the, the vendors that don't quite make that cut. And if I look at historical examples, um, you know, folks like um, Intel, if you remember those, uh, you know, famous 90s commercials, you know, they branded the CPU. 
And now over time, CPUs have become unbranded. Nobody cares what their CPU is anymore. Well, I guess unless you're a you know, Mac fanboy and you know you care about your M1 processor like I do, but <laughs> M1 um, plus, baby. M1 plus. Um, but you know, generally you don't you don't care about that anymore. And I think the same thing is happening in the commerce space. The key, if you're a vendor, is to become one of those few commoditized vendors. Even look at AWS and GCP and Azure, right? They've they have hundreds of billions of dollars in market cap by selling basically commoditized CPU cycles. And if the market's expanding, if you can drive that commoditization flywheel, um, if you're one of those handful of vendors that come out on the other side, that's a great place to be. And it's a great thing for consumers because now it's a lot easier and it's a lot cheaper to buy commerce platform software than it ever used to be. Uh, that that is for sure. Like the like, it, it feels like this evolution has dramatically de-risked uh, uh, um, and shortened the timeline for all these implementations. Um, but I, I I was only half joking when I said like, is Amazon going to wipe out this market? Uh, it it does feel like you you look at the big like cloud infrastructure providers, uh, Microsoft, Google, and Amazon. And, you know, one of the things that, like, doesn't get talked about so much is the voluminous amount of new APIs they each roll out every seemingly month, right? Like, like major new pieces of functionality keep, keep appearing, and they're, you know, having this horrible keeping up with the Joneses thing with each other. Um, like, would, would we expect to see sort of a full mock implementation like like, why wouldn't that just ultimately be offered by these guys and, you know, kind of finish the commoditization, if you will? I think that will be the end state. I do. I completely believe that. Um, and it's because, you know, as you mentioned, these cloud vendors all are starting to offer, I don't know if I'd quite call them commerce APIs, but, you know, they're offering things like search, for example, and some personalization APIs. They're chipping away at it. And it makes perfect sense for them to get in the space because ultimately commerce APIs are infrastructure APIs, right? I mean, who could argue that commerce is an infrastructure today? I mean, almost in the same way that, you know, it's a, a load balancer, right? A load balancer is infrastructure. And before load balancers used to be really, really um, proprietary and expensive. And now it's just a tick box in a public cloud, right? You check the box, it's typically free or very low cost and it's magically there. And I think that makes sense for commerce platforms. I, I think they should be part of that. And that's why we've gone really deep with our partnership with Google Cloud. Um, you know, we we love their partnership and they've been great to work with. And, you know, we're now even available in their marketplace. So you can transact and buy commerce tools with GCP being the merchant of record. So, you know, we're already kind of moving in that direction through partnership. But I firmly believe that's the end state of our market is the public clouds will offer their own commerce APIs. And there might be a few other vendors, you know, larger publicly traded companies that will offer, you know, similar functionality and then customers can pick and choose. And it then comes down to, um, you know, features and implementation um, speed and cost, which again is, is a great thing if you're one of those few vendors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Bill Reddy, if you're listening, you should acquire these guys. <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, if Amazon does come out with like, let's say, uh, you know, a family of headless commerce APIs, could they be in the alliance? Um, in theory, they could. So here's the thing with the alliance. Uh, you're you're going to be thinking here. Um, we certify an entire company. Ah. And that's, so it's at, it's, it's at the company level and all the products in the portfolio have to be compliant because the alliance is built it's its members are smaller companies that tend to do one thing and one thing well you know content stack uh, and ampliance for example do cms they do content management exceptionally well they're single product companies and not necessarily that they have to be single product companies but the companies in the portfolio all need to be mock based and the reason we did that and that was an explicit decision on our part was we didn't want a company with you know an old commerce platform and a new platform to then just slap the mock certified label on all their marketing material. And that would confuse folks out there in the market. So it's really important to us that if you're mock certified as a company, that all of your products are. 
I don't, I can't imagine why Amazon wouldn't be. I mean, they, they invented microservices. Um, <laughs> they have the biggest cloud. So I would assume they would, uh, they would be members. Um, and I'm actually having some discussions with them on this exact topic. That's funny. You mentioned that, but, um, I don't see why they wouldn't, uh, you know, qualify. I'm sure there's parts of amazon.com that are still written on some old non-microservices or something. <laughs> we would have to put it through the evaluation <laughs> process, but yes. But I, have, um, I have a feeling they're not going to share the source code. So it'll be, <laughs> we'll have to see how that, that conversation goes. How about, I noticed you mentioned big commerce, but not Shopify. Um, explain to me that differentiation. Um, Shopify just doesn't really play the enterprise game. You know, they very famously have not participated in analyst evaluations um, you know, they're going very hard after this SMB segment, they're playing more down market and they just haven't played in the larger economy. Um, big commerce is, uh, you know, they're, they're SMB focused, but they are adding enterprise capabilities and their product is mock based. So they applied and, you know, we were very happy to accept them into the Alliance. Uh, I do. Uh, I want to poke at that for just a sec because, like, there are all these traditional capabilities that you you sort of think of as enterprise requirements, and and there are a bunch of them that, as far as I know, are not in Shopify. But but one thing that I have noticed is it's it's way more likely that Shopify is going to be in a in the consideration set for in, enterprise that's shopping for a new solution than they ever did before. Like, there almost certainly is going to be some board member. Um, for everyone that that buys a solution from the mock alliance that goes, why don't we just use Shopify? It's way cheaper and faster and low risk. Like, it, is that happening? And and like, do they do the evaluation and just discover that Shopify isn't suitable? Or you know, I I do feel like there there are now successful examples of clients that migrated from ATG to Shopify, which is just mind boggling to me. Yeah, there have been a few, um, but I mean, we we've had. I think 17 ATG migrations at this point. Anyway, um, <laughs> Shopify is uh, is really great at the SMB space. They offer a website in a box and they do that exceptionally well. And for maybe a country specific um, app or website, um, they do fine there. But our larger enterprise customers, they want to run multiple brands, multiple countries, multiple currencies they want to be able to completely build their own front ends from scratch. Um, they want to be able to uh, add new capabilities outside of the platform. And for all those reasons, Shopify is not that. Um, again, it's really a website in a box. And I have a lot of respect for what they've done. But in our enterprise segment, we might see them, you know, to your point, that you know, board member might say, hey, Shopify, but they pretty quickly fall out um, of evaluation after that first round. Yeah, I I sometimes wonder like are we are we seeing a bifurcation? So we've talked a lot about the benefits of microservices. Like one uh, uh, one fa uh, negative fact of microservices is they they do require um, more uh, overhead on behalf on behalf of the owner, right? Like you like you know you could potentially have paid me to install ATG for you and never had any ATG expertise in house, but to to really leverage a microservice-based solution, like you, you need some organic uh, uh, expertise in in those platforms, and you need some development chops, right? Um, not really. Oh, okay. so there's a there's a there's a difference. Um, we internally use microservices, and other vendors do as well. We use them internally because it allows us to release to production very very quickly. But to the world, we and other members of the Mock Alliance expose APIs, right? Nice, clean APIs. Um, in the same way that you know, AWS exposes APIs, right? So you don't have to deal with the implementation, right? There's a clear line between what we as a vendor have to deal with, and we deal with microservices. We deploy them, we scale them, we monitor them, we look at the logs. You know, we do all of that, um, the running of them. Customers only have to worry about how they can consume an API. And I mean, you can consume an API a thousand different ways, right? So they're concerned with how you consume the functionality over APIs. And in theory, at least, you could have a big, nasty, ugly, monolithic application behind the scenes. In theory, the difference is that you wouldn't be able to consume that functionality um, 
you, you would have to, um, uh, be getting upgrades from the vendor. Whereas what we're doing as a vendor is we're offering functionality over APIs. So it's a, it's a different approach. Um, so you don't have to deal with microservices yourself. Yep. Yep. But I guess what I mean, uh, so, so maybe like one level higher, like going back to the Lego metaphor, um, one downside about getting the kit of Legos is if you're, if you're not very talented like me, um, you you can end up with some pretty ugly looking things by step snapping the box together in, a, <laughs> in some non intuitive or non aesthetic ways, right? So you the you know the cool thing is you have unlimited flexibility. The bad thing is you you, you know you also have uh, there are no guide rails, right? Like you could do whatever you want. Um, and so I guess I just mean like it feels to me like there's a bifurcation. There's enterprises that like see the advantage in that flexibility, and they're you know look looking to get rid of their technical debt and migrate to some sort of mock solution um, that, that uh, goes that way. Or there are companies that just want to like not make any decisions and completely de-risk everything. And that's where it feels like Shopify is doing pretty well. Like it's like, it's hard to argue with the fact that like, you know, you can give a personal credit card and have a, a reasonably functioning a website, you know, running that looks and feels just like everyone else's, um, you know, o- over the weekend. Right. Um, and so it, 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 like, it almost to me feels like the, that that's the bifurcation at the moment that there's like, you know, if you feel like you, you're gonna, you have some opportunity to competitively differentiate yourself in some way, then you're gonna, uh, uh, embrace a platform and all the flexibility that that gives you, or you're just going to buy something, you know, relatively inflexible with, with like limited but safe functionality and and uh, uh, start there. Yeah, and there's a great market of vendors that offer that functionality, and that's great. You know, I oh, should sorry, I shouldn't say that. That's that's okay if you choose not to differentiate in this way and want to buy an off the shelf solution. And there are many organizations, and sometimes for valid reasons, they want a website in a box. You know, they just acquired yep. a business in Canada and they need an e-commerce presence and they want to go fast. That's not our customer, right? And you know, to your point, there is this big bifurcation and it is closing, right? Because a lot of organizations are developing these these capabilities either in-house or through a partner. But there is a bifurcation there. There's there's definitely that uh, you know, that split of the market. And it's becoming pretty clear who is making the investments and who is doing something differentiated and interesting and who is not and who is stuck deploying to production once a month. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, like, even if that's what you want to offer to customers, like there wouldn't have been anything stopping Shopify from adopting more of these principles internally for their own products. And uh, all the Shopify fanboys get mad at me. Um, but, you know, I, I, I like firmly believe that at this point, Shopify has a ton of technical debt. And like, I think they they struggle um, to upgrade and keep current because like, like they, you know, they, they have some inflexible systems that, that, you know, their, their huge customer base is sitting on top of now. Yeah, absolutely. And we see that as well. Um, yep. So I, I'm hoping that they make those investments. Um, and I'm hoping that uh, Toby's able to recruit a good team underneath him after those, uh, those departures yeah, there, yeah, but he's got I'm, some vacancies, I'm sure he'll so figure it out. He's got to operate. Yeah. I mean, they've got a ton of market traction, so there, there's some, they have some good endemic things to work with. Um, we are coming up on time, uh, so I do want to uh, pivot to one uh, last last topic or maybe one and a half topics. But uh, um, is there a good reason why all of this architecture seems to be primarily focused on uh, uh, commerce platforms? Like I, I don't hear people talking about uh, headless CRM systems or microservice-based CDPs or things like that. And it seems like they – like all these other enterprise tools would benefit from a lot of the same, same uh, uh, benefits that commerce platforms are starting to. Am I, am I missing something there? Well, we are seeing other industries. So if you look at financial services, for example, um, there's been billions of dollars put in funding uh, startups uh, in the fintech space that are only API based. So we're, we're definitely starting to see a lot of that out there. Telecommunication space. We've seen that. Um, within the mock alliance, we've seen um, OMS vendors start to apply, um, which is really great. 
Um, so we're starting to see it, but you know, with commerce specifically, first, um, we had that wave of commerce platforms back in the nineties and two thousands and folks just wanted to get online. Right. And back then you wanted a, a suite, a website in a box. It worked just fine. But now after 20 years, you know, the, the lifespan of that legacy software is, is coming to an end. And at that point, you know, you have to look around and look at what's modern and what's current. And this is what's modern and current. The other thing is you have a lot of competitive pressure from Amazon and digitally native vertical brands that are running circles around some of these larger legacy retailers. You know, they're releasing to production every hour. Um, And a lot of retailers just can't keep up with that pace of change. You know, they can't do a pop-up website. They can't do, um, you know, in-store commerce. There are a lot of things that um, they're missing out on because of their legacy technology. And I think that's that's natural, right? This this is what always happens with software. Um, you know, something new comes along and, you know, it's the next wave, it's the next generation and folks adopt it. That's a good segue into uh, hopping in the little time time machine that only goes forward three to five years. If, if we did that, where, <laughs> where do you see things going? Um, you know, I read a lot of articles about zero code and everyone's really excited about that. Is, is that kind of, do these microservices get us to this point where, uh, Jason's mom, who's one of our top listeners, can kind of design her own uh, website by pulling in these microservices, dragging and dropping them, drawing some lines, and being good to go. Or where, where do you see it going? I think in the SMB space, we'll see no code and low code. Um, we're starting to see it, um, but at the enterprise space, it's still very much of um, I hate to use the word manual because it's not manual, but it's more bespoke, right? They're very unique for every single uh, enterprise. Um, just generally, you know, where things are headed, like I said, I think we're going to be further commoditized and I think commoditization is great. Um, I'm also seeing, um, there's an unbundling happening as well. And we're starting to see these new vendors like bold and bolt, um, you know, one with a D and one with a T, um, fast, um, talent one, for example, there are these newer vendors out there. And by newer, I mean, you know, in the past couple of years, year or two, that are offering pieces, you know, some bold, bolt and fast are offering uh, one-click checkout UIs, right? And the functionality behind that, um, you know, Talon One is just offering promotions. So I'm I'm expecting to see more of these vendors pop up. Um, and again, I, I think that's fine. You know, if our promotion engine doesn't meet a customer's needs, um, you know, we're very happy to make a recommendation to a third party. Um, you know, same with uh, checkout UI, we don't do that. So we're always referring our uh, customers to these other, these other solutions, but, you know, with SAS now, it's pretty easy to build these point solutions that do one thing, you know, whether it's pricing or inventory or whatever it happens to be, they can go really, really deep and do that. And then I'm also seeing more brands and retailers, um, building their own commerce platforms, um, I wouldn't quite say from scratch, but they're using somebody like us more as the foundation, but they're building more and more on top of and around us. So it it used to be 20 years ago, you know, nobody had the technical chops to do that. Now, you know, at the top end of our market, um, we're pretty uncontested there. People are buying the commoditized Lego blocks and uh, they're building on or around that. And again, I think that's great because they're able to offer their own differentiation and really build a personalized experience for shoppers um, rather than just take what's in the box. Uh, that is awesome. Hopefully all of that comes to pass really quickly and we get those last few websites off of Blue Martini before holiday season. <laughs> yes, there's still some Blue Martini out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, there are some 90s zombies still out there for sure. Yeah, but the the 100-year-old COBOL programmers need a job, so that works out great. Uh Kelly, uh, this has been fascinating. Um, you and I could go on for another hour, uh, but uh, sadly, we have used up all our allotted time. Uh, so I really want to thank our listeners for uh, uh, tuning in. And uh, if you have any further questions or comments, feel free to hit us up on Twitter or our Facebook page. And as always, uh, if you learn something that helps you in your your career, uh, the best way to repass is to jump on to iTunes and give us that five-star review. Kelly, really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Where can folks find you online? Thanks for having me. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter. Those are my two primary platforms. Um, or just Google me. I'm I'm 
I'm around. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Google me. How about, um, so Commerce Tools, I'm going to assume is commercetools.com. And then uh, for the Mock Alliance, uh, how do folks find that to learn more? Um, that's mockalliance.org. For those of you driving, I will put links in the show notes to all of those. So no reason to write them down. And also links to Kelly's voluminous list of, uh, I think on my library, uh, four, four books now. So thanks again, Kelly. And until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 